Hi, everyone. Uh, we do have uh, some big thanks to uh, to put out to our Patreon subscribers. Uh, we have uh, we have a bunch of you now. Uh, next time I get an email from Mr. Derek Yarbrough with names, I will I will read them off. Uh, but we really appreciate you. We really appreciate all the listeners. And uh, yeah, go to uh, Patreon. I think dot com slash Slipangle, or just Google Patreon and Slipangle, and it shows up. Um, got a bunch of different levels there. We really appreciate the uh, support and hoping to to build the uh, the show and be able to go to some uh, some interesting places and record with some cool people. So, uh, And this show is supported by our buddies over at Apex Pro. Uh, it's data acquisition, except for it's a little bit less intimidating and uh, uh, it's it's a bit immediate in the uh, in the car. Uh, and it's, it's just a really cool uh, setup. So we, we met uh, Andrew from Apex Pro a couple of years ago at PRI. I uh, did a good show with him probably about 100 shows ago. If you want to listen to to uh, what Apex Pro was all about when they first started out, and now uh, they've become quite a bit more of a uh, uh, of a force in data uh, and in driver development. So, uh, if you uh, if you want to check it out, go to uh, go to their website uh, or uh, or check out the Apex Pro app for free on the Apple uh, App Store uh, and uh, and see what it's all about. So, Apex Pro hardware is four forty nine, uh, and it can be expanded to offer OBD two data and predictive lap timing. Uh, and uh, yeah, it is only on iOS. Uh, so dummies like me with uh, Android, uh, you get you gotta steal your mom's or iPad or your wife's old smartphone. That's actually what I'm going going to be doing. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and check them out. Uh, Apex Pro uh, at apextrackcoach.com or uh, hit up Andrew or any of the team over there. Uh, he's been uh, Andrew's been kind of a uh, a growing resource in the HPDE and racing world too. He's done a lot of racing and track day and and coaching and stuff uh, himself. Uh, we're going to be having him on pretty soon to talk about uh, a few different things. So look for a couple of shows with Andrew coming up. So apextrackcoach.com and uh, we will probably also be uh, selling them on our website shortly. So uh, we will let you know as soon as that is done. I think I'm recording things. We're doing another slip angle show, and I have—I think this is your third or fourth time on the show. I got Ross Bentley here uh, with me tonight. So. Third, third or fourth? Uh, anything beyond two, and I'm—that's beyond I, my math. I don't know. I, I'm still flabbergasted that we've had uh, you and Jeff Braun on multiple times, and you haven't told us uh, where to where to stick it when we make requests uh, to get to have you on the show. So. <laughs> Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, yeah, and and unfortunately, uh, at the PRI show, you were there. Apparently, uh, I don't know. I why was I, apparently there. I, I don't know why I didn't see. You. I mean, it was just you, me, and like three or four other people. Uh, yeah, but, and I'm tall too. You'd think you you'd think you would have seen me above yeah, all those people. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Jeff and I actually spent. I think we spent three hours sitting together. 
Uh, Jeez. It was so nice. <laughs> I, I'm uh, I'm so so for the past like two years, I think I've messaged you before PRI and said, "Hey, are you going to be at PRI?" And then you're like, "No, I'm going to be in like I'm going to be at Imola, like testing something or coaching somebody, or <laughs> I'm going to be somewhere else that's way cooler than Indianapolis in December." And uh, I didn't ask you this year, and you happen to be there this year. <laughs> well, there you go, <laughs> and. The bizarre thing is, I mean, how many years has PRM, PRI been around? I have never been there. That was the You've first never time. been to one? That was the first time I've ever been there. I think Jeff said he's been to like 37 PRIs. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, uh, he's, he's always a fun one on the show, and, uh, and you've always been a fun one on the show. So uh, when I saw... Uh, I, I saw an email or saw a, an article that you had written for Road and Track Online, I believe, and I, I sent you an email recently saying uh, that, that was a it was about about what what happens when pro racers retire or something, um, and I sent in our uh, an email just saying hello and uh, and catching up and uh, and then uh, turns out you were there and then I was real upset with myself <laughs> and then uh, and now we're on the show again so uh, I appreciate well, it. Well. That's what it took, I guess. So yeah, yeah. Uh, once once in a while, I gotta send the email to to uh, to Mr. Ross Bentley. Yeah, so yeah. how has uh, how's the last? I mean, it's probably been a year or so since you were on the show, and this is right about episode three hundred for Slip Angle. So maybe wow. you get to be the three hundred. Wow. But, uh, That'd be um, how is uh, how how has the last year or so of uh, of Ross life been? What you been up to? Well, busy uh, and. You know, I, I actually heard, uh, I can't remember who it was. It was, it was like Bill Gates or somebody, you know, somebody way smarter than us uh, <laughs> said something like, busy is the new stupid. Like, uh, if all you ever say <laughs> to people is you're busy all the time, that just means yeah. you're stupid because you're not managing your life properly. And so I admit I know I'm that stupid. feeling, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in, in the past uh, year to two years, I've been trying to cut back on the travel and the coaching because, you know, just another airplane, another hotel. A few, I don't know, maybe three or four years ago, I spent 234 nights in a hotel room. That's way too many nights. And last year, I know I flew, in 2019, I flew almost 250,000 air miles. Holy cow. And that gets really, really tiring. Yeah. But, but uh, so I've been trying to cut back. And then last year... At the beginning of 2019, actually December of 2018, I met a fellow and, you know, he was one of these, you know, a gentleman driver who wants to be the best gentleman driver. And I've heard that story before, but right. this guy's different. Like he, he's willing to actually do what it takes and that doesn't come along, you know, a lot of people kind of want to do it, but aren't yeah. really willing to do everything it takes. Well, he is. So I've... I agreed to coach him and it kind of just kept growing and growing and growing and growing. And by, I think, I think from the first week of August to December 21st, we were at a track every single weekend or every no single way. week, whether it was testing or a weekend or something like that. And, you know, wow. we started the season at Daytona. He's racing in the prototype challenge in an LMP three car and finished eighth overall, won the bronze cup for the, bronze level drivers mm -hmm. and uh he's just a delight to work with but it's just 
made me very, very, very busy. Trying that's to, a that's a that's some serious seat time for anybody, uh, regardless of uh, if it's full time for them or not. But uh, it sounds like he, it sounds like according to Bill Gates, he might be the definition of stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of us. Well, actually, you could you could probably Both. point the finger at pretty much everybody in motorsport. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So well, yeah, busy. Yeah, that's a, that coaching. sounds busy. Yeah, and. You know, I, I, I love doing the online stuff, the webinars and the writing and everything else. And, you know, this past year, being able to start writing for Road and Track has been a, just a yeah a huge honor for me, really, and, and, and a fun challenge as well. But, uh, yeah, just kind of mixing all those things together and then, you know, take a group of drivers to the Nürburgring and Spa every year and, you know, toss in a yeah. few other miscellaneous things like, oh, last year. Oh, can I tell you about this? I started, you can tell me about whatever you want, Ross. I, I, I started taking <laughs> lessons to learn to fly helicopters. So I'm really halfway through getting my my pilot's license for helicopters. Okay, which is just way cool. How, how uh, like how many flights have you done so far? Uh, so I'm about uh, I think I'm I think I've got 26 hours. Okay, uh, technically uh, you have to have 40 hours, but right. everybody says it takes closer to 60 hours which sounds like a challenge, but, uh, uh, so I'm, you know, somewhere in that halfway range and, uh, I gotta tell you, it's, it's, it's really, really awesome. What, uh, what kind of helicopter are you flying right now? Uh, Robinson R22, you know, little okay. two seater things and yeah, super classic design. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, when it's, I was taking the lessons in North Carolina and, you know, some warm days. And of course, then you take the doors off and you're flying and you're, you know, half your body's hanging out the side of the thing. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's the closest thing I've ever done to driving a race car, a proper race car. Uh, not from a, you know, a thrill risk perspective, but from a skills coordination perspective. I, I would imagine. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's very cool. That's probably like the no ABS, no traction control, no uh, no downforce, no R compounds version of a helicopter, right? Like exactly. That's, that's like a that's like a '93 Dodge Viper on old uh, street tires, probably. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, and yeah, you know, raw you raw and wild. You know, you walk up to it and you look at it and you kind of little tube frame and you know, pop rivet of aluminum panels and some fiberglass. You go, oh, it's a Formula Ford. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it. Uh, uh, like where, where is this hobby going to go with, uh, for you? Is this going to be a hobby or is this, are you getting sick of race cars? You want to fly helicopters for a living? Like where, where do you intend to take it? Uh, up in the air. Uh, sorry. <laughs> That's usually the goal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, I, people ask that all the time. And, and the simple answer is I have no end goal. Mm -hmm. It's helicopters have always fascinated me. Right. I have always wanted to learn to fly one. And the idea of being an absolute beginner, uh, has just it's and and learning how to learn is is fascinating to me. So really, I mean, I I looked at it and went, if I get to the end, I got my license and I never fly again, I'm okay with that. You really? Know, would okay. I? Would I? You know, in my dream, would I love to have a little Robinson R22 sitting in my driveway and you know on those rare moments when I am at home, uh, be able to pop up in the helicopter and fly around and go and check out the scenery or something, you know, would I love to be yeah. able to do that? Yeah. Do Go I get the hundred dollar hamburger from somewhere like all the airplane pilots? Call exactly. It. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yep. but you know, would I ever do this as a, as a living? No, not a chance. No. 
Yeah. I, I do have a I have a close buddy. Uh, he was actually my first student ever when I started instructing, um, probably 10, 12 years ago. And he, um, I had known him before. Uh, I actually drove around in a car with him. But uh, he he went into the military and he learned how to fly helicopters there. And now that's that's actually what he does for a living. He flies a big, huge. He he's done news helicopters. He's done medical, uh, like medevac helicopters. He's done all kinds of things. And uh, yeah, watching his Instagram is it's kind of cool to see. Oh, I wonder what Dave's flying today. Yeah. And he's always got a, a a better view than many of us. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's a it's a cool thing to do. So yeah, my yeah. My, my younger brother's building an airplane right now. Have you ever gotten into? Um, uh, fixed wing aircraft at all or no? Well, officially no. You know, I've been up with friends, and mm. I, I actually have a very close friend that uh, uh, he he and I work together when we take these groups of drivers to the Nurburgring in Spa. Okay. And yeah. he has a um, an aerobatics plane. Uh, it's an RV four. Oh yeah, he knows what yep. that's that is, and you know, so I go up with him every now and then, and we'll go and do loops and rolls. And uh, last year, hmm, I'm just kidding. I'm I'm trying to think if I'm allowed to say this, but. Uh, Let's just say that um, I had a very interesting view of the Mount St. Helens volcano crater. An interesting view. Uh, upside down, looking through the canopy. Oh, okay. Down, down into it. I don't think that's the way you're supposed to do that, but uh, it, it sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm, you know, that's interesting. The helicopter thing just. The coordination of the skills, okay, you know, it's like, it's like coming into the carousel at Road America and just having the car on that very edge where you're coming in and the things just kind of dancing on the edge and maybe you get a downshift or you're upshifting and you know you're coordinating the pedals and the steering and balancing the car. It's it's that same kind of feeling. Yeah, I you've got the back end walking around on you maybe, and yeah. you're, you're doing a lot of things at the same time, huh? Yeah, and, and, and well, maybe the, Interesting. I, know, I was going to say the last thing, but <laughs> who knows? We could spend the whole time talking about helicopters, but going through the process of, of learning. So I would say that learning to, to hover in a helicopter is maybe perhaps the most challenging physical skill I've ever done. Really? Because... You know, you're coordinating your left hand doing two things, your right hand doing this, and your two feet. And, you know, the helicopter's trying to do a lot of weird things. And if you think about a helicopter, it's essentially, it's a pendulum hanging from the rotor. Right. So if you put a little bit too much input into it one way, you know, it starts <laughs> to move that way. And right. then you bring it back. And if you're just a little too quick with bringing it back, it starts to swing the other way. And then okay. the other way. And then the other way. And then you're into a tank slapper, essentially. And that's when you hope the the instructor says, got it. Yeah, uh, that's crazy to hear uh, coming from a guy who has lit himself on fire at 200 miles an hour around Indianapolis uh, that that this is the most physically challenging skill that you've ever tried to acquire. That's really really something (laughs) that speaks more volumes than many other probably helicopter students. You've got a reference point there. Yeah, so I – you know, the interesting thing was, you know, I remember uh, sort of about a lesson and a half, kind of really struggling with it. And then going back to where I was staying and and, and kind of going, okay, I've got to take my own advice here. And I stood in the 
stood in the middle of the room, kind of moving my hands and my feet like I was working the controls and swaying my body like the helicopter mm-hmm. and practicing it and closing my eyes and, and, and visualizing what I needed to do. And I right. spent 45 minutes doing that. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, the night before I'd closed my eyes and, and visualized it, but this was, you know, I'm moving my hands and I'm coordinating all that. The next day I got in and within 10 seconds, I, I nailed it. And the instructor kind of looked at me and going, where did that come from? Yeah. And I said, well, I was just practicing last night, you know, and it's it's no different than driving. So, um, so there was there was something that um, a while back uh, I was talking to our lead instructor uh, Ed for Grid Life, and he uh, we've had several lead instructors this year. Our buddy Ryan Kristoff, who I think was on your podcast yeah. a while ago, he yeah. he got too busy wanting to try to win the runoffs, uh, Darn. and so he he helped a couple of events, and then another another good buddy of ours, uh, Ed Colazzo, he. He took over, and I was talking to him about you know about classroom and about uh, you know the way he does things, and uh, just you know just kind of picking his brain because um, during our events uh, at Grid Life events, it gets busy on my side. I'm tr- I'm talking to the team that's going to maybe have a problem in ten minutes. Uh, I'm not thinking about the people that I don't have to think about like like Ed so much because uh, I trust Ed. Ed does this thirty weekends a year between us and another group, and. Um, it uh, it got me thinking. You know, I wonder. I wonder what Ross's take on because you coach people at various levels, probably mid to high level. But uh, uh, so you're probably not dealing with too many beginners. But you're also involved with a lot of instructor training stuff in the last couple of years. And uh, like, it got me thinking. Like, what are your thoughts on uh, on being a better student? Um, and so that kind of brings it up naturally here. Uh, do you have any advice for? Because we have a lot of HPDE people that listen to this show. Do you have any advice for, you know, for the guy who's done a couple of track days or who hasn't done any and is going to? Um, yeah, what's uh, what, what's your what's your thoughts on on learning nowadays rather than teaching? Well, the the first thing that comes to mind is you know we have so little time on track, right? That anything that you can do away from the track is just why wouldn't you do it? Right. And, and it's, and it's cheaper too, probably. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, you know, I could have gone back and paid whatever per hour to have the instructor correct me and everything, but spending 45 minutes that evening made, it probably saved me, I mean, it saved me hundreds of dollars in actual yeah, helicopter absolutely. time. So, you know, there's so much that can be, you know, learned, uh, just the preparation and, and, you know, so I do, you know, one of the things and one of my, one of my main focuses for this year is to really stay connected with, okay. you know, yeah, I get a chance to go and coach some guys at a very high level and, and, you know, but I, but I don't ever want to forget what it's like being a beginner. So, you know, I'm fortunate enough to, there's a couple of car clubs that I go and work with throughout the year that I mean, for example, they allow me to do the novice classroom sessions and it's just okay. so much fun to hear the questions that come up in those things, in, in those classroom sessions. And, you know, every now and then I can get out in the car with somebody. And so to be able to see what, um, you know, what, a, what a novice is going through, that's something I never want to forget. So, yeah. uh, yep. so I guess and the biggest thing that I've noticed is, you know, there are some novices that will show up to their very first track day. And 
you know, I might say something like downshifting or apex. And, you know, you look at some people and they've got like a totally blank look on their face. Yeah. And then you get other people <laughs> that go, well, an apex is, you know, and they've just done a little bit of study. Yeah. And they've made their experience so much more fun and and rewarding. So, yeah. uh, you know, the single biggest thing I just say, take the time to do a little bit of preparation and it will make a big, big difference. The, you know, the the other side of that is don't assume that you have because you have a little bit of information that now you know everything. Uh, you know, it, it was uh, one of the great things about going into something so different. I mean, you know, when you're a, when you're going to a track event, you've driven a car before. You probably drove Absolutely. to get to the track. So you know something about driving. The great thing about learning to fly a helicopter, I knew nothing. You know, okay. I knew yeah, I you're coming went up in a the clean air. slate, a blank and, slate. And and uh, just, you know, and every now and then, you know, I may have read ahead or something like that or, you know, been watching videos or something. And the instructor would start to say something and I'd almost want to go, oh, I know that. And I'd just like stop myself and and let him explain it to me because he explained it to me in a different way. And I knew because of that, it became deeper knowledge. So open mind is uh, is something we all need to kind of keep top of mind here. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, as far as uh, coaching, and I, I've been noticing you're you're talking more and more to instructors. Uh, at least there's there's been uh, a, yeah. a, a Facebook ad that pops up for an instructor summit in my Facebook every time I open Facebook with your smiling face. <laughs> well, um, I, I apologize for the for the <laughs> mugshot on there. No, yeah. uh, what, what's uh, what's your thoughts of where uh, where where the instructor world is right now? How are you trying to to help those guys and girls? Well. I look, I guess, you know, stepping right back from it is, is two big things. You know, the first one is the obvious one and it's safety. You know, cars are not getting any slower. Yeah. Um, and the better prepared, trained uh, an instructor is, the safer they're going to be for both, both the, the student, the driver and the instructor themselves. So, you know, strictly from a safety perspective, better training is, is, is only going to help. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, when I started really digging into this a few years ago and, you know, got involved with starting the motorsport safety foundation, uh, instructor certification program, um, you know, it, I started looking at other sports and activities and, you know, skiers have an association, they have certification for their instructors, tennis, uh, coaches, uh, golf instructors, um, you know, scuba, you know, has been around with for years with their, their instructor certification process, you know, but what shocked me was the, there are, there's a bowling instructors association and they have standards for their instructors. And yet our sport, you know, we kind of look around and we go, Hey, you're a pretty fast driver. Hop in the right seat of that car <laughs> and help that guy go around a fast, like one of the most dangerous sports of all. And it, there's, it's been the wild, wild west for so many years. So from that safety perspective, I think, um, you know, we need to do something before enough bad things happen that something ugly is forced on us. Like either we can't do this anymore or there are some bigger regulations that are slapped on us. Um, it is almost shocking how well for like, you know, I mean, like the track day world is probably in like full force. It's probably only 15 or 20 years old. Yeah. 
Um, it's shocking, like how well it actually has worked. Uh, but I think more, more standards and like I think I think more unification across uh, groups. Even you know it, uh, just like best practices type stuff. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a much needed thing, and I don't quite know the best way to go about it. But at least at least the, you at least you guys kind of started to do something. Even just the thought of like how do we do this better. And how do we talk to people about doing it better? I mean, that's uh, it. It was it was a good first uh, start for sure. I mean, something has to happen. I mean, right. It, uh, the it, better we all are, I mean, the safer we all are. So right, and and you know, and 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 in a way, the safety is just the first part. The second part is the better the experience the drivers, students have. Yeah, the more yeah. likely it is they're going to keep coming back for more and more. And who doesn't want our sport to grow? You know, I no, think absolutely. there's a lot of people that are worried that, you know, either, you know, it's the grain of the sport, the old people, you know, and maybe not enough new younger people are coming to the sport. Uh, I don't agree. And I think you've proven it with grid life that there are a lot of people younger than old, younger than, pe- than me that want to come into the sport, but we need to make it interesting, fun, challenging, all those things that make it for somebody to want to come back. And, uh, you know, so just some best practices around how to do that uh, mm-hmm. is really big. And, you know, so last year, uh, Eric Meyer invited me to go to Indy and do a session for drivers. And then we went, well, why don't we, while you're there, why don't we do one for instructors, which we did. And then we left that and we're like, it was so well received that let's do it again. So, you know, we're uh, Indy, uh, in Indianapolis on February 22nd, 23rd, we're doing the I guess technically it's the second annual instructor summit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we're actually then doing sort of a, uh, a, a, a slightly smaller one, but in at yeah, road Atlanta actually on January 18th, 19th at the um, driver's club. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yep. you know, you touched on something really, I think really important is, is, you know, how do we, how do we do this? How do we share this? And, you know, I, I, sometimes I think, you know, some of the f- more formal and I, I hate to use word formal with anything that I do because <laughs> um, <but, laughs> it's part of the reason that I'm entertained by you. <laughs> but the, I think your, your lack of like, uh, uh, I, I like your open mind and your and your lack of what appears to be a rigid philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay, good. Um, no, in a, in all but all the best ways. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I'll, I'll I'll take that the good way then. So, yes, I, but, I mean it in all the best ways. But I think that you know, even if I go in and do a instructor training workshop, right? Uh, sometimes I, I I go I leave and then I go. You know, the best part of the day was at lunchtime when I saw those four instructors in the corner talking and they were sharing their experiences. Mm-hmm. And I think so much of that is is needed so you know uh, essentially providing a a forum a place for people to come together right you know right. multiple times a year around the country i think is a it's certainly a vision that we have is having these instructor summits around the country and more and more people coming together and sharing their best practices and ideas and maybe every now and then kind of being kind of being shaken out of our old ways Right, right. Um, uh, we, 
that's part of the that's part of the reason that like five years ago Austin and I sort of started this podcast is because it's kind of fun to just hear racer stories and like uh, that that all started to come out of like me and ten of my advanced instructor buddies like man did you see that one time like you know it, it wasn't always racer stories either um yeah but that i mean that cumulative knowledge uh it doesn't always have you don't always have a place to talk about it because you're you know you just get out of uh one car or you just get done coaching somebody uh you know it, it and then you you want to get in your car and you don't write it down and like there's a lot of lost knowledge uh simply because people don't have a way to uh, to tell people. So, um, yeah. Have you ever done much right seat instructing? Uh, tons of it. So tons of it. Okay. So yeah. you know, I was kind of as you were saying that I'm kind of like I'm almost having flashbacks of thinking about you know like people look at me sometimes and kind of go, well, you should come and train us. I'm kind of like, why me? Yeah. And, well, <laughs> you know, 40 years ago I started doing right seat stuff and. Okay. Then, you know, for a number of years, I had a I had a school where, you know, probably probably about 150 days a year, I'd be in the right seat of a car with it wow. with, with students, and you know, all different levels. That's and, right. I forgot you were you you did a you actually had a school for a while. Yeah, yeah, yep. and you know, so uh, you know, I guess I basically I look at it and I go, well, I escaped. You know, I got through that safely, um, <laughs> yeah. but it certainly wasn't because I knew anything. It was just because, you know, we kind of, we were winging it. We got away with it. But one of the things that we did way back then even was at the end of the day, you know, the three or four or five instructors we had that day, we just sit down and go, well, what did we learn today? Right. And I, and I can remember just sort of asking that question, what did we learn today? And, you know, sometimes the conversation would be three minutes long. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it'd be like, you know, an hour later, we're sitting around yabbering about everything that happened that day. And I just, I th- I think that, you know, if it was 150 days, I think I learned more. I think I probably learned 300 days worth of experience in 150 days because of that. Right. Uh, I, I can imagine that because you're, uh, especially with, with daily shared experiences, uh, that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, what uh, uh, so with Grid Life and with our other uh, event that we've hosted f- since '04, uh, we do a mix of uh, primarily at Grid Life. We do out of car instructing. It's it's more of a sideline coaching for mm-hmm. beginners. Yep. Um, and then at our Honda Meet event, we do traditional right seat, and we've done that forever. Um, we that's the only event that we tend to be able to find enough qualified right seat instructors. Um, cause it's a lot of the same crowd comes back year after year and it's like the one event they still do, or like it's one of the three events they still do. Um, so it's more like a family. Um, but, uh, we, we've actually struggled finding, uh, qualified right seat instructors and there is always the, as cars get faster, there's the, the inherent risk of cars getting faster and the problems that it can cause. Uh, so we sort of developed an out of car instruction method, and it's a lot of it does rely on the the natural fear of driving around a racetrack, uh, and it's actually proven to be quite safe. Um, but I don't know which one I like more, um, and you probably have done a lot of kind of both. Uh, yeah. What are What are your thoughts on one versus the other? And the uh, I, I've wanted to ask you about this, what? but. Uh, yeah. 
I'm sold on the effectiveness of both, and I think it completely comes down to the communication of the instructor uh, and the like the how invested they are in the the day and the quality of their student. Like how how, how hard they want to work for their student, I think completely determines the outcome. So uh, that's that's the thing that we struggle with. But what are your thoughts on both of those methods? Uh, what you said. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so I, good people I, are hard to find sometimes. But. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, in the end, it doesn't matter whether you're in car, out of the car. You know, you could be on the other side of the world. If you really have that deep down inside, I want to help that person. Right. You'll make it work. Um, uh, you know, there are pros and cons of in car versus out of car. Uh, one of the things that I'm really trying to get more organizations to think about and to actually start to implement is, you know, there's this kind of this model that's been used for a number of years where, you know, you show up, you have a in-car instructor and you go along and you go along and you keep kind of moving up and through experience and skill development. And then eventually the instructor says, you are now solo. And it's kind of like, you know, and you're free to go. And, yeah, and, and like a baby bird, sometimes you flap your wings and fall out of the tree. <laughs> exactly. And, right. But even, you know, I'm not sure, but I think if the baby bird falls out of the tree, I think mother bird goes down to try to help. Yeah. Like, yeah. like it almost seems like currently it's an on-off switch. You know, it's, yeah, yeah, it's in, we instruct. In a lot of groups it is, yeah. yeah. And some groups are doing a really fantastic job of kind of, uh, to me, it's it should be more of a transition, mm-hmm. and that transition can be anywhere from, you know, more check-in rides. I'm not going to say check rides, but check-in rides, right. uh, and mentoring, and you know, um, you know, come on, let's go up and watch from a corner together. To using data and video, um, you know, corner observation with groups, you know, all of those things. I think. Uh, is extremely valuable. And I think that needs to happen more and more. The, like I said, it's more of a, a transition, you know, it's a, it's a rheostat rather than an on off switch. Yeah. And yeah, I, I agree. It, it's, and it's, and it's tough. Uh, it, it still varies so much track by track and student by student. It's, I don't think that there's a rigid curriculum that is the best fit for any, for any group, you know, I, it, I guess it's so so much of it is like, uh, what's going to work best on this weekend, this track for these people? Um, at least that's what what we've kind of found is you, you you do have to. Some of it has to be a little bit uh, uh, a little bit catered, you know, a little bit cultivated towards towards your audience of of beginners. But it, it uh, probably no different than you know sending Johnny and Sally off to school. Right. And expecting both of them to learn equally well from the exact same curriculum, you know. Yeah, yeah. It uh, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, but but that's the. I guess if you're if you don't have a, a real desire and keen interest in wanting to work with that, mm-hmm. maybe you're not going to be the best instructor. And 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 you know, I think you touched on a really important point is, uh, you know, how do we find quality people? And some people would say the, 
the biggest challenge with our sport growing is finding enough instructors, quality instructors to work with people. Yeah. I think, I think it's a huge hurdle. Um, even today we were debating like, you know, Midwest festival, which is our big, biggest, busiest event, right? Uh, is this even like a good environment for beginners? Like it's so busy. Uh, it's, 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 it's hard to even like drive around the paddock sometimes, even though we've, you know, we're working on just trying to get, you know, crowd control and people, you know, being able to drive to their pit spot, their paddock spot easy. Like even that is a hurdle. Um, but, uh, uh, finding, you know, finding a good environment for beginners sometimes, uh, you know, you got to get them in the right mindset even, um, where, I don't know, it's, but, but finding the instructors that aren't there just to get a discounted entry or a free entry, uh, it is kind of tough, especially as, as your instructor crowd ages and like all of a sudden may, might have enough money to pay entry fees and then they can just sit in their lawn chair, uh, after they get off the, out of the, out of the car, <laughs> Uh, it, it, I don't know. I, I try to think of different ways to do it. Uh, and I, you still need, you still need, uh, the right people in the right place with the right attitude. Um, I think attitude is, is a huge part of it, but yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, maybe one of the things that we need to do is, you know, we, as a sport, we need to kind of start to change the culture a little bit from the instructor being, I'm an instructor because I get cheap track time Yeah. to, yeah. you know, I want, I want to be the best instructor. I want to be a great instructor. I want to be a very good instructor. I want, and, and you know, part of the MSF motorsport safety foundations, you know, certification process. And, you know, it's, it's been difficult to get that off the ground completely be, or it's off the ground, but it's been difficult um getting everybody to buy into that because it's new, it's different. There are people that are like, you know, they don't want in and all that kind of stuff. They don't want to change anything. Right. Um, but, you know, part of the purpose of that is to start to change that perception. And, you know, uh, there there are instructors who, I mean, I get I get an email from an instructor, you know, it seems like once every couple of weeks. And at the bottom in their signature line, it says MSF level two instructor. I'm like, right. That is a proud instructor. And right. like, that's cool. And and that's what it should be. We should be, you know, our, our scout merit badges, you know, like there should be something in there. And, 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 and that is changing. I mean, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of instructors in the past year or two who like, you know, I go to the track now and I don't even run my, my, my run group. I don't even go and drive there. So I'm just having so much fun working with students that, you know, if I get out one session during a weekend, that's good enough. I just, I get so much reward yeah. out of, out of instructing. I'm like, that is really cool. Yeah. And that, uh, that's, that's usually the sign of a instructor who's doing the right thing. Yeah. yeah that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I really value the, uh, the people that we have that are like that. And we have a bunch, I, re I wish I could double the amount of them. Cause yeah. we ran them real hard last year. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, uh, it, it, uh, it, I, I think it's, I think it's a good thing. I think the more we talk about it, the, you know, the more you might stir up the desire in some drivers to, to be that next, uh, that next class of, of instructors too. Um, I ha one thing I have seen a big culture shift in probably the last five or six years is um, I noticed a lot of instructors 
10 years ago. Uh, and they were probably like, you know, some of the earlier like amateur instructors in HPDE world, you know, because this is 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I noticed some of them had an air of arrogance and kind of a gatekeeper mentality. And it was yeah. like, it was the cool thing to be an instructor. Yeah. Uh, and I noticed a lot of them are gone. And I think that's a really good thing. <laughs> yeah. That, that's to me, that is, that is, uh, we, we had one of my, one of my better friends in the car world was really turned off by an instructor like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and somehow we convinced him to come back out to one to another event. Uh, but another another friend of mine, I mean, we drove all the way to North Carolina for a track day, and he was in beginner, and his instructor was, I mean, he was so rude, and he was such a cool guy and such a gatekeeper, uh, and they didn't mesh, and he's never been back to the track. And to me, that's like, uh. it's probably best for his bottom line. His his pockets are probably <laughs> thanking him, but like this kind of, it's kind of sad, you know. It, it, um, very, yeah, yeah. That uh, luckily, I have noticed a lot of that going away. But uh, and what uh, are, sort of related to that, one of the other things that I've seen that I think has been fantastic is because I get around, get a chance to go around to these different clubs and organizations putting on these events and. You know, I used to go to a, you know, a car club event, an HPDE event, and there would be the chief instructor yeah, and yeah. everything went through the chief instructor. Yeah. Got to talk to Bill, right? Got to yeah, talk to Jim. <laughs> uh, and, and it seems like there's more and more chief instructors who like I've been to some events where, you know, I'm kind of the guest speaker. Yeah. And I'm actually not sure who I'm supposed to ask about something. Because they do such a great job of delegating the task to, okay. you know, okay, well, you know, Sally's doing this this group and Bill's got this group and this one's got this group. And, and it's like – and the chief instructor has done such an amazing job of delegating and not making it about typically him, uh, yeah. uh, rarely her, but uh, – um, uh, you know, so it's it's not about the chief instructor. It's about the event. And yeah. it's about yeah. the student. And I think that's the big thing. And, and what I find is there's a correlation between those organizations. And if you ask them, how's your attendance? They're like, oh, man, we keep growing. You know, we're, we don't, you know, we're, we're running, we, we sell out our events. And then I go to some other events and there's the chief instructor. And I'll ask that chief instructor, and how's your events attendance? And they'll go, yeah, we're losing every, every event we we're losing. We may have to, you know, yeah. I don't know if yeah. we're going to be able to keep this up. So maybe there's something it's shocking there. that just being nice works sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, it's all about the customer experience. Yeah. And yeah. at the end of the day, you want, you know, first of all, somebody going to the track, short of an instructor being rude to them, you know, they've driven around a racetrack. It's pretty hard to have a bad time. Yeah. And yet there are some where people come away and go, Wow. I wasn't expecting that. Like I was expecting to drive around. I was expecting to be instructed. I was expected to have some fun driving my car, but I wasn't expecting my instructor to take me, you know, put his arm around my shoulder and take me over to the lunch thing and introduce me to a bunch of people and, you know, offer to go and get me something. And, you know, and, you know, a a week after my last event, my instructor emailed an article to me that he thought I would find interesting. Like those were wow moments. And 
Yeah, above and beyond is still a thing. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's good. So uh, it, there, there's there's so much opportunity out there. Uh, that I guess that's what drives us to keep, keep doing this. Yeah. Um, well, shift, shift in gears. Have you raced any cars lately? Uh, well, the Thunder Hill 25-hour race. You did you run the race? I ran the race, and uh, yeah, we won. We won the ES class. Finished Very cool. What did you over. drive? Uh, a Nissan GTR, a Valkyrie Autosports. Oh, cool. Um, cool. And it was really fun because I have, uh, this driver who I'm coaching, who it's his first year of season, uh, season of racing, first year of racing, he was in the car. Another mm-hmm. driver, this was his fifth race he'd ever raced in his life. Holy cow. And another driver who he had done a couple of like AER, WRL races, right. but had never done a 25 or 24-hour race. Right. So, you know, three of them – pretty inexperienced to this kind of stuff. And uh, I don't know if you followed that race much this year, but the mm-hmm. conditions were probably the worst they've ever, ever it been. It looked really – a couple of our buddies uh, who have been on the show a bunch were there, and from their social medias, it looked really wet and really muddy. Oh, like it was – Really muddy. It was unbelievable. And, and you know, so uh, kind of – coaching, mentoring, guiding these guys a little bit. And uh, the team did an incredible, awesome job. And we finished that race. And I'm pretty sure we may have, I don't know of any other car that finished a race that did not have a mark on it. Like really, it was, you know, covered in mud from the spray and everything. Right. But we didn't have a single mark on the car. Cool. How did the car hold up? That's a big car for 25 hours. Um. You know, we probably would have had uh, some because that's a heavy car. But you know, we probably would have had more challenges with the brakes had it not rained so much. But uh, right, right. you know, given the rain and the conditions and everything, car ran. So we had. Uh, I started the race and did a three-hour stint to, to to start, and we had a turbo hose pop off, and I lost power and came in, and they, I think we lost two laps fixing that, but uh, okay. went back out and thing ran strong. We had one. We had a misfire a little bit uh, in the middle of the night, and we kind of got that fixed. We had one of the, you know, I've been doing this sport for a while, and, uh, you know, let's see, this was the 41st year I'd been racing, and something happened to me that had never, ever happened before, and I have no idea how or yet. But (laughs) I'm dying to hear what this is. In the middle of the night with all this rain and water everywhere. Right something in the radio started freaking out and every time the crew talked to me i would get a short my earpiece would short would start to zap my ear i get like <laughs> in my and i'd literally like they were shocking me every single i'm kind of like you know i'm like a pavlov's dog here i was going like to say did you learn any bad habits on this app <laughs> well eventually you know i got on the radio and said guys only talk to me when you absolutely have to yeah, uh, uh, but you know, also what's interesting is, after about an hour of it, you get used to it, <laughs> and it's like oh, it was every, that every time that again. they call, your mouth starts salivating, and you're anticipating a treat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's so, bizarre. Did, that was bizarre. Did you figure out what actually happened with the radio? No, but because there was some little electrical thing in there, but uh, I, I don't know if it was a combination of when it stopped raining quite so hard and things dried out a little bit more. It seemed to kind of go away. Yeah, so, that's good. Fixed itself. Uh, Those are my favorite problems when they work themselves out. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. no, it was, a, it was a blast. And uh, for me personally, there was a stint just before midnight where 
I got in and it was starting to rain and I was, the car was still on slicks when I got in and it was kind of like, well, we think the rain's, this shower is going to pass in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we can avoid making that tire change. So I drove for an hour and a half on slicks in the, in the rain yeah. and just, ah, you know, driving in the rain, there's nothing better, but maybe there is one thing better and that's driving on slicks in the rain. It was, uh, was, were you practicing, uh, uh, looking out the passenger and driver's side windows while you were steering or how, how'd it work? <laughs> not, not that sideways, but you know, no. <laughs> every, every corner there was, you know, the back one come out, you know, the GTR being an all wheel drive car, yeah. you know, I kind of really kept in mind, like just really think about how to keep this car pointing straight and lots of straight line acceleration. That's how you go fast in a car like that in the rain. How much and, power did the car, uh, did the car have? Oh, about 1,700 horsepower. No. Uh, um, <laughs> well, that's not uncommon in those cars. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, uh, um, you know, I think it was tuned somewhere in that, you know, 450 range, yeah. somewhere in there. Um, uh, you know, it as we, there was all this talk about, you know, we could have a couple of different tunes, you know, low, you know, better mileage, uh, more horsepower. And as we got right. to the weekend, we looked at the weather report, it was kind of like, don't worry about it, you know? Yeah. Just just run off the wastegate pressure, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That so, uh, yeah. yeah, that's a that sounds like a, it sounded like a challenging weekend for almost everybody involved. Yeah. Um, but uh, do you know how many cars finished that race? Uh, I do not. Um, it looked like the entry fee, entry was entry list was like forty five or fifty to start. Yeah, forty five cars, which kind of concerned me. It's like that's a small field for that race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's that race is typically like in the sixty to seventy car field, I believe. But yeah, I think you know when I did it like two or three years ago, it was sixty something cars. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know why the entries were down this year. Yeah, I uh, maybe maybe uh, maybe one thing or another, but it still looked like a wild uh, a wild weekend. Yeah, um, yeah. Our, our buddy Tom O'Gorman uh, put a lot of pictures of the Civic Type R that, yeah. that he was part of the team on with Kevin and, and yeah, yeah yeah literally the car was totally totally brown at the end of the weekend yeah um tom said uh, i think it was a pri that i saw him last tom said that like there was one section or one stint in the dark where uh there was so much like junk on the track like marbles and rocks and mud and it just it almost felt like a rally stint and there's car parts everywhere and it was uh yeah it was busy he said yeah you know you come through a corner and you know obviously a car had been off the track because when they came back on now there's like a lump of mud that's like six inches around you know looks like a soccer ball of that mud. poor beautiful racetrack. <laughs> yeah. So we went back there to go testing with a LMP3 car. What two and a half weeks afterwards? Right. And you could still see that, like the line was essentially still brown in the pavement. Like I don't you know. You guys had beaten the dirt into the pavement. Huh? Yeah. I don't know how much rain and whatever else is going to have to hit that place to really get the track clean again. Um, we were there, and it was. You know, it rained a little bit, but it, it we got some dry time and the times were off. And I think it was just the track was, you know, the track just doesn't have the grip that it did. It's just dirty right now. Huh? Yeah, yeah. 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 It's going to take a while potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, fun stuff. Yeah. That uh, that sounds that sounds fun. I could use some of that right now. I'm. Uh, do you ever suffer from like, I don't want to do race cars syndrome anymore? Is that a thing that you deal with? Uh. I, I, for sure not, I don't want to 
do race car stuff. Um, uh, I don't, I don't have that, but I absolutely have the, I don't want to leave my house again. Uh, yeah. Once in a while, I just get sick of going places and like, yeah. uh, it, uh, luckily off season makes the, you know, gives you a little bit for us. We have a little bit of an off season, even with the, the SEMA and PRI show and stuff like that. But, um, uh, I'm looking at my cars and they're all in pieces right now. And it's, I got a little burned out like a month ago and then PRI kind of, kind of actually like literally talking to Jeff Braun about just, uh, just everything in the world, uh, and talking to all my buddies that I hadn't seen in a month or so that, that brings it all back. But, uh, uh, it, it does, it does worry you out a little bit, especially, I can't imagine the amount of travel you did. i I was away from home 70 or 75 nights last year, but uh, yeah, you're in the, you're double, triple that, but yeah, um, it, it, it's, uh, you know, when somebody says, you know, they're tired of it, I, I totally get it. And, you know, I guess I have had times where it's like, you know, do I want to go to another track and do the same thing again? <laughs> um, no, I don't. But the interesting thing, and maybe it's because I'm, you know, I, we defined in the very beginning that I'm stupid, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, once the, I get there, the new definition is stupid, right? Yeah. yeah. Once I get there and I start doing yeah, what I do and working with the people that I do, uh, you know, I have a blast. It's exactly it's, that. Like once you're there, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not bad at all. Like yeah. once you're there, it's the best. Like it is literally the best, but yeah. like packing your bag to leave is literally the worst. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, you know, I, in, I've said it a number of times, you know, I wish in some ways that I would go to a track and go, that's it. I didn't like it. And yeah. by the way, I sucked at it as well. <laughs> you know, the combination of those two is, is the, it's definitely, that's the telltale of that. Now it's time to quit. So. Yeah. Uh, I've definitely had moments where I've been in the car and I've gotten out of the car and thought, man, I sucked at that as well, but I, I have never gotten out of the car and thought I didn't like it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I think seat time, uh, does just being in race conditions. It's one of the, it's one of the only places where like, where your head gets pretty clear and you can focus on one task and, and, and you can remember the fun part of it. But, uh, for, for those of us who might be next to the racetrack more than we're on the racetrack, like sometimes you got to think about getting on the racetrack again, but well, I think most of the people in this sport, uh, we have a uh, a short. We have a we have a memory problem, you know. I have especially long, you know, like twenty four hour races where everything went wrong, and at the end of the race, you go, "That's it. I'm never doing one of these things again." Yeah. And you know, like three weeks later, you're going, "Yeah, you know what? I'm never doing this again." <laughs> a month later, you go, you know, I don't, really, not sure, I really want to ever do one again. You know, a and month then you're after that, at you're entry like, fees, how yeah, much it costs? <laughs> yeah, you know, like it's a month or two later, and you're like, okay, how are we going to win this next year? Right. Uh, you know, we we tend to forget all that stuff, and fortunately, we remember the fun part of it. What uh, What's your preferred race format? If you were to If you were to build a car and like, what it, What is your uh, what do you prefer? Sprint racing, medium length, enduro stuff like IMSA, long enduro stuff, eight hours, 14 hours, 25, 24. Like what's your, what's your preferred type of asphalt motorsport? Ah, <sighs> that's, that's, 
Um, I I would probably say endurance racing. Yeah. Um, because ultimately, whatever what what matters to me is all I care about is being in front at the end. Right. And you know, I don't care. I you know, I've had people say, "Well, I'm faster," and you know, I go, "Well, good, good on you." You know, like, like, <laughs> but, but who just won? Yeah, right. Um, I don't care about being the fastest. I do care about winning, and you know, in a longer race allows you to. There are more, there are more variables that you can exploit um, in a strategic way, in a yeah. smart way. You yeah. know, I, I, you know, in fact, I, I love the idea of beating somebody while being slower than them because that just right. proved that I'm smarter than them. Uh, yeah. Smarter and, or more lucky, one or the other. Well, or both. Yeah, there right. is that too. But, uh, yeah. um, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, there's not a form of motorsport that I don't love. You know, I spent a few years coaching in the, you know, uh, rallycross series mm-hmm. where, you know, they're, the main event is, you know, six laps, whoop-de-doo, you know, that, oh, yeah. that lasted all of four minutes. Uh, and, and there's something cool about that. Um, right. You know, I've coached some drag racers and, you know, while that's kind of not something I want to do, well, I would like to try it, but, you know, it's not something. Drag I mean, racing I, is pretty fun, actually. Yeah, I'm not going to put a lot of effort <laughs> into going and doing it. You know, yeah. I, I I think it's really cool. So, um my favorite part of the enduro, uh, the enduro stuff that I've done has been like the teamwork and like at, at the end of it, you sort of feel like you went through something with this team of people and like uh, there is something kind of special about that. And I think it's like a basic human thing when you when you when you do something difficult with people that you that you like, uh, you like them more when you're done. There's that bonding uh, thing, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is definitely a bonding thing. Uh, yeah. It, it it the only thing I don't like about enduros is is uh, man, they take a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah, and they eat up a lot of tires and they suck a lot of fuel. But uh, I think that's the definition yeah. of endurance racing, isn't it? <laughs> it's that's true. They do take a long time, don't they? Yeah. yeah. It, it, you know, the flip side, it, you know, fortunately, I would say. 95% of the endurance races I've done in my life have been with great people and the bonding part of it. And the, you know, we got through this together. Part of it has been there and that's been fantastic. Yeah. But 5% of the, the endurance races I've done have been with people that were not that much fun to be around. <laughs> What's that like? <laughs> not that much fun to be around. <laughs> yeah. That's not that much fun when it's not that much fun. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just, you know, you kind of want to just, get it over with and go, man, let's move on to the next thing. So, Have you ever talked about your least favorite race? Uh, least favorite race. Like what, is there one that stands out? Like this one time at Lamai was terrible kind of thing. Uh, I would say, uh, there was a IndyCar race on the Nazareth oval, the one mile oval at Nazareth. Okay. In what was that? 90, 293 i can't remember which year it was but i was driving i don't want this to sound like the big war story thing but um i i was driving a two-year-old lola chassis oh i think you talked about this one time did i tell this story already uh or some maybe was the car super terrible is that the one yeah it was just so evil because of the aerodynamics on the car 
And at any moment you thought, I'm going to die in this car. And, you know, that was a time when guys got hurt pretty darn bad when they crashed at at an oval in an IndyCar. You know, you're at Nazareth, I think we're averaging 185 miles an hour on a one-mile oval. You know, you would get around a one-mile oval in, I think at Nazareth it was like 19 seconds or something. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, concrete walls out there and... The yeah. car would just snap, and I just remember getting to the end of the race, and I, I don't know if it was the worst, but it was the most, that was the greatest sense of relief I've ever had in my life. I can imagine. Like, I, I, I got, I'm still alive. <laughs> yeah, so. wasn't that wasn't that something where the, like, the aero updates just made the car utterly awful or something? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So that was, um, the, the, the ironic thing is that was, you know, that, Basically, the rule package came in that that said these rules in terms of the diffuser under tray of the car and everything had to have this, and right. we didn't have that. And anyways, um, that made the car evil to drive. Yeah. Um, the one of the most satisfying races was when we won the Daytona twenty four hour race, and it was a very similar kind of a thing where we were running this. That's an LMP two Lola Nissan, and you got a thing with Lola's. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, and at the end of the season before, it was Grand Am sanctioned at that time, they mandated a spec rear wing for yeah. all of all yeah. the cars. And we put it on the car, we went testing, and we had a two-car team. And like the first time I went out, the first time in, the, in one of the cars – and it was the most unstable thing I've ever driven in my life on the straightaway. It would just like move around all over the place. Yeah. And one of the other guys went out and within an hour um, at Daytona in turn two, NASCAR two, which is essentially a straightaway. You know, you yeah. should be able to drive through there with one finger on the wheel, right? Um, the car spun and he hit it, hit the wall really hard and hurt himself and the car really badly. Yeah. Um, and the Lola engineers, that's when Lola was still around in England, their engineers in England sent a message saying, do not drive that car. It's dangerous. That's just not what you should have on the back of the car. Huh? It, they said they described it as a arrow with the feathers pointing the wrong direction. Yeah, that's not good. And, and yet we ran the smartest, most strategic, toughest race I've ever driven in, in a way. And we won that race. That was the 24 hour. Yeah. And yeah. just, Kind of going, okay, this is what we've got. Let's put the pressure on everybody else. Had everybody else worried about us if we just drove our race um, and came over one, be, making some smart decisions throughout. So, um, yeah, two aerodynamic you, things, one of them the worst and maybe one of the best. So. Do you think that, uh, that having to fight the car so much uh, was part of the reason that you won? Was there any sort of, uh, was there any sort of like change in mentality that – that drove you to be more conservative or what do you think actually won the race? Uh, for me, it was simply focusing on what we had and not worrying about what could go wrong or what yeah. everybody else was doing. Um, I had, there were two drivers in the car that was their first race at Daytona. Their first time on the track. And the first 24 hour race at Daytona okay. for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so they didn't know any better. 
They just thought that's how Daytona was. Yeah. I mean, this way, you know, like Those poor guys just, probably never went back. You know, uh, <laughs> the, the, the frustrating part at the end of it, I was like, you know, I said, you know, man, I'm pissed here. Like, this is my 11th race before I finally win this Rolex. And your first right. time you show up and you win the bloody thing. Like, come on, you haven't paid your dues, you know. Um, and then one of the other drivers played the smart kind of conservative role. And, and, um, you know, it was, it was that, and, um, you know, working with a team that, uh, a team that I'd worked with a bunch to the point where I knew the team manager so well that like he would say something to me, like almost sounded like code. And I knew what he was saying and he could almost read my mind. Like, uh, for example, and hopefully I'm not getting way too off topic here, but, uh, we don't have any agendas, right? Okay, uh, <laughs> good. Um, uh, where were we? About an hour and a half. I'd gotten in the car, I think, with two hours to go. Okay. Maybe half an hour into my stint, the brake lights stopped working. And our team car had had the same thing happen to them about 30 minutes earlier. They pitted because you get black flag because you have to have brake lights. Mm-hmm. And they pitted and the wiring to the brake lights had broken from just right. the vibration from the race. And they spent, I don't know how many laps in the pits fixing that. Um, and I'm driving and team manager comes on the radio and says, uh, our brake lights are not working. We're going to get black flagged. And, and I'm like, I can't have this happen. And I remember coming along NASCAR three, four banking. And the team manager says, uh, there will be no rain before the end of the race. And at the same time as he's saying that, I look over and I see the switch for the rain light. Mm-hmm. So I come down into the brake zone for turn one. And as I go to the brakes, I reach over and flick on the rain light. Brake, downshift, go through there, get to the corner, turn the light off. And I drove the last hour and a half of the race, turning the rain light on and off every time I braked. And that was good enough to not get black flagged. And that was good enough to not get black flagged. You just had to have a light, huh? (laughs) Exactly. So the the funny thing is they actually had an in-car camera, and if the officials had ever looked and noticed me flicking the switch on and off, they probably would have figured it out, but I guess nobody bothered to do that. So we basically won because, uh, you know, both Mike, the team manager, and I thought of the same thing at the same time, and it was kind of like, I don't know if he was sending brainwaves to me, like, Think of the brain light, you know, and so <laughs> it, uh, as you were saying it, I thought, I wonder if you could just flick the running lights on. Can you just run the running lights during the braking zones and flick them back off? But the rain light, eh, that's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It is. It, it pays. It pays to have uh, a rain light, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. So any, any, uh, yeah. Any other telepathic crew chiefs, chiefs that you've ever worked with or no? <laughs> uh, so this is Michael Gouet, who uh, Michael ran Essex Racing out of Atlanta for a bunch of years. And, right. you know, he, you know, he could he, he would say that, you know, he could tell by the angle of my head whether I was on a good lap or not. Really? Uh, um, you know, we just how many wore, times did this guy run you? Um, not enough. <laughs> Uh, we spent maybe four years together or something oh, like that's that. Cool. Yeah. Uh, but it was just, you know, we just really connected really well. And, and uh, uh, yeah, I just bumped into him at Daytona this past weekend. It was great to see him again. And um, uh, I, I still think he's one of the best team managers 
mostly retired from that now, but uh, was one of the best team managers ever. Just uh, he knew how to get the best out of a little. Yeah. I mean, budget and team wise, always had just one of those teams that was wasn't the biggest, wasn't the flashiest, but uh, just got the best out of people. They ring all of it out of it, though. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a hard trick to learn. Uh, to 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 manage is uh, is tough, but yeah, yeah. Um, what uh, so what does twenty twenty hold for you? What do you got planned? Just uh, fly as little as you can and <laughs> still make a living. <laughs> well, uh, so lots of coaching with my coaching client Stephen Thomas. Um, Writing for Road and Track, which is just a like I said, a way cool experience. Yeah, that's very um, cool. Uh, did did they give you a business card? No, they didn't. Because uh, uh, Matt Farah uh, has talked about it on his show that uh, getting the Road and Track business card when he started writing there, he, he had to write there for a while, I think. But he wow. said that's a pretty powerful card in the industry. <laughs> wow, man! I got to talk to Matt. Yeah, you get, uh, I got to talk to get a business card, man. Travis and Sam and like, guys, where's my business card? Um, yeah, they gave me a sticker. <laughs> <laughs> you can probably uh, buy those on the website for four ninety five. Yeah, actually, well, you know, the best thing they gave me was uh, asking me to come to the performance car of the year test. Oh yeah, yeah. And and then uh, halfway through the second day, Travis, the editor, coming up and saying, "We've been threatening to do this for years." Uh, to have the performance of van of the year test mm-hmm. because we have three rental vans over there and you've been nominated to test them. <laughs> so you get one lap in each van to set a lap time to see which is the fastest van around Thunder Hill. It doesn't and, sound like the worst thing. Uh, it was, it, the, the weird thing was, you know, after, after this uh, few days at Thunder Hill with him doing this thing, I came home and my, my wife said, well, how was that? And I was like, it was really cool, but you know, I mean, I drove McLaren and Lamborghini, Porsches, the new mm-hmm. mid-engine Corvette, you know, Miatas, uh, the Hyundai of Veloster N, which ended up winning that thing, and yeah, uh, yep. you know, BMW M2, Supra, you know, all these cool cars. I had more fun driving three minivans around the track, <laughs> and I actually wrote a piece that hopefully they're gonna post online at some oh, point but cool. uh, um cool. you know there's just something silly about driving a minivan around a racetrack so um yeah they, no they, i have friends that have done it and uh yeah it seems silly yeah <laughs> it yeah. seems gratifying and silly yeah so going back to your question i guess so coaching uh road and track stuff taking a group of people on the ultimate trip to europe in july going to we're going to spend uh the tuesday of a week tuesday at spa Mm-hmm. On July 14th, have the Wednesday off to drive from Spa to Nürburgring, which is, uh, we're supposed to tell people an hour and a half, but it can be done in less than an hour. Um, <laughs> it, uh, and then Thursday, Friday on the Nürburgring, Nordschleife. And uh, so that's like the the coolest trip to Spa and Nürburgring we've ever been able to do. Package the two of them together in July. So um, Yeah, I, I, hope, I hope someday when I... When I'm not the definition of stupid, uh, and I have <laughs> enough money to do it, that you guys are still doing that because uh, I, I subscribe to your newsletter and get the emails from you. And when uh, a couple weeks ago or a month ago you sent a promo out about that, and you're doing both of, both things in the same trip, and yeah. it somehow worked out, and it's like, God, I don't really need this 401k, yeah. do I? Like this might be more fun than that. <laughs> 401k, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just work yeah. at Walmart when I retire, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, 
that and uh, you know continuing to do the online webinars when I can uh, mm -hmm. get to some car club events I've got a few of them lined up for this year uh, and you know with any luck I'll find a little gap in my time and be able to get back up in a helicopter yeah well I hope uh, I hope it goes well and yeah helicopters that's that does sound that sounds fun I've yeah. never been in one it does sound I've, they've always intrigued me also like they've always my dad and my brother uh, got their private pilot's license, and so I've been in those planes a little bit. But, like, I've always – you see a helicopter going by, and, like, man, you can go anywhere with those. Uh, and it's funny, you know, you get the fixed-wing pilots that go, oh, wings aren't supposed to move, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I was, I was talking to Brian Till uh, uh, at Daytona, and, and, you know, he's got his private pilot's license, and he's like – you know, if the wings are moving, you shouldn't be up in the air, you know, and like, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there's just something really cool about them. Um, and, you know, people kind of go, well, that whole thing, if the engine stops, well, I've, I've done a couple of auto rotations now where you're up there and you basically essentially shut the engine off and you glide the helicopter. Yeah. You still have, you still have the ability to land. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's a that's a wild little hobby. Yeah. I, hope, uh, I hope it's fun and successful. So. You know, it's funny. I was just uh, I was at the track last weekend, and somebody said something about a hobby, and I'm like, "What is a hobby?" I think you have a hobby now. Uh, I think maybe I have a hobby, and it's helicopter. Yeah, you. Uh, why, why are you taking uh, lessons in North Carolina when you do not live anywhere near North Carolina? Uh, well, there was a. I was doing a bunch of work back at VIR. Right. And it, I was going to be spending a bunch of time back there at VIR uh, coaching because the runoffs were there last year and working oh, yeah, with yeah. The, the Kaizen school that's at that track there. And it just so happened that they knew somebody that had a, that owned a school that uh, taught helicopter pilots. And <laughs> I figured it was somebody that you knew. So a combination of all those things, it's like, well, I'm going to do it while I'm back there. And mm -hmm. because I also knew that, if I tried to do it when I was at home, it, you know, when you're at home, there's always a, Oh, I got to go and do that too. Oh, I got to go yeah. and do that. If and I was, you don't want to leave the house, we already talked about this. Yeah. So the fact yeah. that I was back there, it was like, I am back here and there's only one reason. And on the days that I was doing the helicopter training, I would, you know, I'd maybe spend an hour dealing with emails, yeah. but the other, the rest of the day was spent reading the most boring FAA regulations and you've ever read in your life um <laughs> they're not well written huh? oh, i just I, yeah um i'm not a i'm not I'm, I'm not good at memorizing information that's really what they want you to do so uh -huh. um, anyways uh that's why i did it but because it, it really then just allowed me to focus on doing that and i really jammed i basically jammed that all of that training in in a very short little period of time as well yeah. Um, cause the one thing I knew that I didn't want to do was I, I didn't want to take like one lesson a month for the next yeah. four years. That would be a complete waste. So yeah, you forget a lot every, which uh, in 30 days, which kind of goes back to the, the track stuff, you know, like if you go to the track three times a year and wonder why you're not improving, well, you know, that's a tough, that's a tough, uh, that's a tough challenge. Yeah. I, I, I've, I don't get on track as much as I want because typically I'm, I'm in the I'm in the tower in the engineering stand, uh, figuring out how to make the day run smooth. Um, 
but uh, it's sort of like you you don't forget what you're doing, but it it is hard to improve when you're not in the car uh, all six or all ten sessions or whatever. You know, it it's it is still fun though. Yeah, you get out there and you start hooning around, and it's not terrible. (laughs) And I think you know there's a uh, you know, Mario Andretti can get into a car today and still be bloody fast. Mm-hmm. But he had like 50, 60 years of, of tons and tons of driving. You right. know, if, if all you've ever done in your life is go to the track three or four or six or eight times a year, you know, it, it's, it takes longer to get back into it. So yep. um, I guess my point that I'm trying to make here is, Basically, ruin your life, drop your job, yeah. do whatever it takes, spend your four hundred one k, and just go to the track and live there and drive nonstop. Yeah, I want to go. I want to go to uh, to Spa in uh, in Germany with you and rent one of them little uh, cage Clios or whatever the heck they rent over there. <laughs> sounds yeah. amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. That uh, is well, one of those things that uh, the very first time that I went to the Nurburgring. It was kind of like it was one of those, eh, yeah, I guess, you know, someday I should drive it, but right. what's the big deal? You know, and I drove it, and the first time it was kind of like, yeah, this is pretty cool. But I went back the next time to really work on driving it. Right. And I went, whoa, now I can see why uh, uh, we've had a lot of people that said, this is a once in a lifetime bucket list thing. Yeah. And they're there for their seventh time. <laughs> Can, uh, can you visualize the Nürburgring? Yeah. You can visualize the whole thing? Yeah. And what is that, 14, 17 miles? 14 something miles, 14 Man. miles, yeah, yeah. That's like uh, that's like two or three and a half Road Americas. Yeah, uh, yeah. Only without the straightaways. Yeah. Uh, wow. It's, it's uh, I, you know, people... Uh, talk to me a lot about the you know the mental game and all that stuff Mm -hmm. and visualization or mental imagery and you know uh, some people say well you know i just can't you know i get part way around lime rock and i lose focus yeah and and i go it's like anything else it takes practice and you know fortunately i kind of got introduced to visualization using it as a tool in sports and tennis uh, when i was like 15 and probably every day since I was 15, I would spend some time visualizing mental imagery. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had done maybe, maybe 20 laps of the ring mm-hmm. and I could sit down and close my eyes and drive every part of it. Yeah. Okay. But that was just because I practiced it so much. Yeah. Practice I, the, the, the skill of mental imagery. I hadn't uh, until I, I can't remember where I heard you talking about it. Maybe it was in I did one of your I did your online classes years ago, but I hadn't put as much time into mental imagery. I but I did it a lot when I was younger and I rode BMX, I, not competitively, but every day. You know, ride skate parks, ride trails, um, and I have the aches and pains to go along with it <laughs> yeah. now. Now that I'm almost forty, but it's. Uh, I, I did a lot of visualization back then, you know, 25 years ago or whatever. And uh, and when you, I think the first time I started taking it seriously was when I heard you talk about it. Or maybe I read it in one of your, I don't know. It, it was something that you had said. And now it's part of like every one of my driver's meetings uh, at every one of our events. It's part of like, 
you know, if people come up and ask me, you know, what about, what do you think, you know, how much seat time do you got here? What do you think about this turn? What do you think about that turn? I said, well, can you picture it in your head? Go, go drive it. I mean, yeah. it, it, it is a huge thing uh, for me, but I can't imagine visualizing the Nürburgring. I've seen in-car video uh, many times of it, and it's so long I can hardly watch the in-car video. <laughs> And uh, maybe going back to you know your question that you asked at the very beginning about you know how does a novice or inexperienced driver what 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 can they do to best prepare and yeah. you know definitely uh, using mental imagery and to me mental imagery is more than just visualizing it's more than just imagining the visual part but it's actually moving your hands like I was doing with a helicopter learning mm-hmm. to hover um, you know it's actually moving your body and imagining the sound it makes and everything and the more real you make it. Uh, the, the actual, it, it actually gets easier to do it as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah. What, what's your weapon of choice when you, uh, when you go do fun laps at the Nürburgring? So the car that I probably enjoy the most is a Renault Megane. What's that? It's just a little, it, it's, it's probably similar to like the Ford Focus ST, you know. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's, it's that level of. Yeah, or the Civic Si, kind of a hot hatch type or hot Hatchano hot Econo car thing. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, um, it's a it's a great car. And you know, I, uh, you know, I've driven some really fast cars. You know, GT threes and I, I last year I think I spent a bunch of laps in a Nissan GTR. You know, Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you know bloody fast cars and everything. The the thing that I I like about the Renault is, uh, I can drive it at the ragged edge at the ring. Absolutely, light, slow, slow, fast, or slow cars uh, that are lightweight are so much more fun to go fast because you get to feel like you're doing it more. Yeah, yeah. and you know, I'm driving the, yeah. you know, getting a Porsche GT3, and I'm, I'm leaving a, a margin. Yeah, and you know how I proved to myself wasn't meant to, but um, how I proved to myself how close to the ragged edge I'm driving the Renault is one point a couple of years ago, uh, we had a data system we're putting in, in the cars and they said, can you go out and do two laps? Cause we need uh, like a data lap to compare everything to. Mm-hmm. So I hop in this Renault with the data system in it, and I go out there and I turn two laps that were within four tenths of a second. And that track at over nine, I can't remember how many minutes. Yes. Four, 14 <laughs> miles long. Yeah. 150 corners, and they were with two laps were within four tenths of a second. And On I'm the like, edge, huh? So obviously, I did a lot of different things over the course of those laps. But if you drive the car pretty much at its ragged at at its limits, ah, there's only so fast it can go, right? Yeah. yeah. And and that's what I kind of went. Wow, I guess I'm getting the most out of this thing. They do and, become more approachable those limits when. Yeah. When they're lower, <laughs> and and I'm you know I know when I'm you know, on a Porsche GT3 or a whatever you know I'm leaving more of a margin and you know they're fun because they're really fast. Yeah. Uh, you know you go down in the foxhole with a with a Porsche GT3 and you think oh my god this is it this like this is going to be one big heck of a mess. <laughs> <laughs> when they when they clean this thing up and expensive, yeah, really yeah. expensive, and 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 so you're kind of going, well, I don't know if I need that. Um, so that's my preference. I know, you know, I have a friend who, you know, 
he loves nothing better than driving a GT3. I, I love, personally, I love that you said that you like the stupid Renault I've never heard of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, That's the best. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the whole classic drive a, drive a slow car fast rather than a fast car slow, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, no, I, I enjoy making my dumb old Hondas as light as possible, and, I mean, I don't need more than 160 wheel. Like, that's plenty. Well, and again, remember, you're asking a guy that came back from driving 11 performance car of the year competitors and, you and like saying the that they enjoyed driving <laughs> minivans better. So yeah. uh, I'm well, not minivans nowadays <laughs> probably have 300 horsepower, though. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, everything's fast nowadays. But <laughs> yeah. So uh, so what what are you racing this year? Uh, well, we, uh, we last year, 2019 was our first year of our Grid Life Touring Cup uh, yep. race series. Yeah. Um, so we grid life now has wheel to wheel and it's yeah. a single class, uh, about 12 and a half to one power to weight. Um, and so right now I'm in the garage. My studio is my wife's daily driver. And right next to me are two old Honda civics. Um, and, uh, one of them I own with three buddies, uh, that is Dan, the sedan, and it's an old, an old SCCA ITA car, uh-huh. uh, more of an enduro build, um, and that's that's sort of like everybody's like uh, it's like the village bicycle race car right now. Uh, it doesn't break, so it's always a, a race car. Uh, but above it is my my car I've had for twenty years, my old nineteen ninety Civic hatchback. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's the plan right now. I'm putting a supercharged single cam in, but like real low boost, but it should have a real nice flat torque curve. Um, trying to trying to exploit my own rules a little bit, but. Uh, so you I, write the rules. And you get to compete in that class. Yeah, mm. but I've never won anything. <laughs> it's not it's not advantageous when you have my my mediocre skill set. Uh-huh. Uh, but now we we really approach the rule set for that uh, for that class um, to be inclusive, but also to have a little bit different mindset. Uh, the, the slip angle listeners are probably sick of me talking about it, but to have a little bit different mindset from traditional wheel to wheel with with other clubs. Um, to be a little bit more uh, tuner and time attack style where like I can put whatever engine I want in this car. I don't care as long as it drives the same wheels. That's really the only drivetrain rule. And, Mm -hmm. and I got to have a dyno sheet that shows what it makes. And I got to be able to prove that I'm not, I don't have a a, a switch that flicks and changes, changes the tune to make me cheat. Um, But other than that, like it's balanced with weight. It's balanced with tires. I could run street tires that are wider than our comps. I could run whatever brakes I want on it. Um, But yeah, we had a really, really, really successful year uh, with that series last year. So it was, it was fun. I didn't get to race in as many as I wanted, but. How many, um, how many races this year? uh, We had, our first race was at Mid-Ohio and uh, uh, I think we did. What did we do over the year? We did seven, seven or eight rounds. I forget. Uh, we kept adding rounds because the uh, everybody wanted to go to more places. Um, yeah, and our first race weekend, it's a single class, so like the entire run group is racing each other. Um, so my my biggest complaint with racing everywhere else is that you never know who's winning because like there's seven classes out there or whatever. Yeah. Um, so for spectator purposes and for, you know, for the driver, like, you know, you're racing against the driver that is in front of you. Um, and our first race weekend, we had 25 cars. Our second race weekend, we had almost 40 cars. Um, 
And uh, and then we, uh, aside from our Colorado event, which I think we had eleven take the start at one of the races, but that was that was uh, like last minute we threw it in, and it was at a tiny little roval, Colorado Pikes Peak International Raceway. Oh, you went there! Wow. Yeah, we threw a festival there, and that's I think that's going to be our our best place to throw events. That place is just too cool. We were running we were running drift cars at midnight while the concert went. We had lasers and fog, fog everywhere, and it was just amazing. Ah, cool. Uh, but uh, yeah, our Road America, we had thirty cars. We had thirty-two cars, I think, at our final event at Gingerman. We had Road Atlanta, thirty-five cars, and I think there's like sixty cars being built right now. If you if you go by the the Facebook group, so huh. uh, it should be should be a fun series. That's that's where I, I intend to race a little bit um, when I get the time, but. Uh, yeah, cool. a lot of lot of help uh, from a lot of people building that series. Hit a real good rules committee, and uh, yeah, we've been working on the rules for that series for three or four years. So, yeah. Um, well, yeah, if it was I become fun. It was if year. I become less stupid, yeah, uh, let me I'll, know. I, you got a seat and Dan the sedan anytime I'll you want. I'll try to yeah. try to get to one of those events because <laughs> they sound like a lot of fun. So well, we do we do super sprints also. Um, so instead of thirty minutes, forty minutes, three hours, whatever. We do a bunch of fifteen-minute flag-to-flag sprint races, uh. um, so it's different, uh, different in that respect too. So it becomes a little bit more watchable, and yeah. and then you burn everybody out on the exhilaration of the start and the finish, rather than how how much brake pad they used. You know. Uh, well, and it's kind of going back to your question about which race format I enjoy the most. Is you know, I love the start of a race, I love the yeah. end of a race, but the part in the middle. Like if it's yeah. just like kind of 20 minutes or 15 minutes of, okay, we're racing. Um, you know, I'd rather then stretch that out or yeah. eliminate it. So I love that. <laughs> yeah. We sort of eliminated it. Yeah. 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 Uh, so. that, that was my thought too. I love that last, that last 20 minutes of an enduro race. Like that's the best time when, yeah. when you're really trying to, trying to make your strategy work or like cross your fingers and hope somebody else's doesn't uh, like that to me, that's that, that's that extended pins and needles uh, feeling. But uh, uh, if I'm going to do a sprint race, I'm going to, I mean, I'll do a five lap sprint race before I do a 10 lap sprint race. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, I think yeah, you're so onto something there too. So we're, cool. we're trying to yeah. trying to do something a little differently. Uh, but it uh, it was a good it was a good season. So that's what I'm racing. Uh, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I I appreciate you coming on the show, man. We're into this thing for an hour and a half. I think it's time to <sighs> time to put Ross to bed. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, uh, we better wrap this up. But uh, yeah, if you're hey. ever in Chicago or you think we might be at the same racetrack, uh, let me know. Yeah, for sure. And you know if. Uh, if anybody's in that, uh, you know, in the indie area, and there are current instructors or thinking about instructing, um, the February twenty second, twenty third instructor summit thing, yeah, uh, yeah. there's going to be some really, really good stuff there. Um, I spent some I, time early today working on some stuff with the rest of the guys, and it's going to be great. I, I'm, I'm, I think it's really cool that uh, that there are people that are that, that really want to. Uh, explore and take deep dives into how do we do instructing better i think that's regardless of the outcome just starting to do that is a big thing so yeah um, the uh, uh last year i tried to go to that and ended up having to work and this year it will be the weekend that uh we're coming back from circuit of the americas we have a gltc race at our our wheel to wheel series as a support race for the super lap battle time attack the weekend before 
So if I'm gone two weekends in a row, my wife's not going to be happy with me. <laughs> but, well, maybe you so. could just like kind of drive through Indy on your way back and maybe. Yeah, just take my time and we'll. Maybe you know, the, you know, maybe. Or, or maybe I take my down. wife out and uh, and accidentally uh, let her go shopping in Indianapolis while there I'm you go. with you guys for a while. Yeah. Um, Indy, yeah, I, I, Indy in February is beautiful. I know. It's just so pretty. <laughs> I think you're a good liar if if you can convince your wife of that. Uh, I apologize to anybody who lives in Indianapolis. Although it's, most of the people I know who live there would agree with me. So, Indy's uh, not so bad. No. It, it, the further north you go, uh, the longer that white junk stays on the ground. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, it it should be okay. It that's just, that's actually like the it's right at the end of uh, the end of silly season, the off season when everybody gets cooped up in their garages. So it's probably good to get out of there. But, yeah, that's the other thing is, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, mostly it's about instructing, but, uh, you know, we're going to have some great conversations that I know, you know, uh, Saturday night will be, uh, the wind tunnel will be in action, I'm sure. <laughs> the uh, the hot air will be flowing, huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I know uh, several several buddies of mine are heading down to that, so. Yeah. If I, if I can hop in one of their cars, maybe I'll maybe I'll last minute see you there unless okay. it's sold out. But, okay, okay. Um, we'll, we'll find a room. We'll find room for you, so. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, I could always, you know, I could always just, you know, cover my face with a hood and sneak in the back, pretend to sweep the floors or something. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, man. We'll uh, okay. we'll sign off, and uh, I appreciate you coming on the show again. And where can people find out about uh, about Ross Bentley? How do you sign up for your uh, your weekly newsletter and all that jazz? Everything's at speedsecrets dot com. Easy to Pretty remember. Simple. Yeah, that's yeah. the name of the books too. So. Yeah, and, yeah. A few other yeah. things. Yeah. The man that literally wrote the book. Uh, yeah. I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> Have fun. a good night. Okay. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pits Air Grid Live to say hello.